Hello and welcome to Cast the Pod Tier Witcher. I'm your co-host Dolph. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mags. And today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 4 of the Netflix series of Banquets, Bastards and Burials. So yeah, we were. I think Erin had a story she wanted to, <laughs> to relay about <laughs> our beautiful boy, Joey Beatty. Right, so I'm debating whether I should mention the album or not first, which I think maybe I should because it'll be relevant again by the time this is out because it's going to get... Oh, hype it up. It's Spotify release. Okay, so... This is a pretty Yaskier heavy episode. So, um, you know, usually we do a kind of media thing at the start of the, the episode. And there's just a couple of things I wanted to mention. One is that uh, Joey Beatty's band The Amazing Devil has just released a new album um, yesterday as of the time of recording, but uh, it'll be a few weeks in the past by the time this is released. And that should actually be right around when it's being released on Spotify. So I would highly recommend that anybody who is in the Witcher fandom, or just a fan of Joey Beatty, should really um, check them out. The new album is called The Horror and the Wild. The other thing I thought was, we're often discussing just how much we think he was just perfectly cast as Yaskir. And I actually found a Twitter thread that the casting director for The Witcher posted about sort of the process that went into casting Joey Beatty. So she was talking about how it was the most sort of joyful audition she's ever done, that they'd been casting for Yaskir for ages and they'd had sort of hundreds of choices and hadn't found the right person. And just she described herself as feeling like she was going to throw in the towel and collapse on the floor, sobbing in defeat. (laughs) And then in walks what she calls King Joey. (laughs) (laughs) who had learned off by heart two entire scenes, borrowed an actual lute, which it turned out he already knew how to play, and had written and memorized a song for the audition. That is. (laughs) So (laughs) she said basically as soon as she she saw that, she she felt like she could have leapt across the room and hugged him. And he's actually said in an interview that she did, in fact, come over and ask if she could hug him because she was so excited. Uh, she felt like she's, you know, never seen a role made for someone the way this role was made for him. So I just thought this is a really sweet story and that she was like, clearly like so excited about him as an actor. And we get to see that on display really this episode. So yeah, I do wonder how much of uh, Jaskier is acting and how much is just Joey Beatty just having fun. <laughs> I was gonna say the other thing he did this week, which will be old news by the time this airs was an interview with Netflix's podcast. Um, I'm obsessed with this. And he did say that he feels like he takes a long time to ramp up to being Yaskier, but once he is, he cannot turn it off. <laughs> um, so he said he felt like he was at 150% for the months and months they were filming and just sort of like crashed at the end of it. But at the same time, I mean, like he is a folk singer slash songwriter slash poet. So so it wasn't that distant to leap for him anyway. Yeah. No. And I do think <laughs> it's that sort of thing where like, the series got extremely lucky that it discovered Joey Beatty because, like, in general, the casting in this show is pretty great, but, like, out of all of them, he grasps the, the character. Like, I, or rather, like, it, it doesn't even that, like, he grasps the character the best. It was more just, like, the way he brings Yaskir to life in a way that is, like, simultaneously different from the books and still, like, amazing in its own way. It's true to kind of the spirit of Dandelion slash Jaskier, but he kind of brings it alive in an entirely new way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like, he, he does emphasise like like different aspects of Jaskier as a character, and I think um, 
but I think he does it in like such a way that like it's genuinely more interesting than a perhaps like more like literal depiction of Yasker is in the books. Yeah, he, he emphasizes the the bits that you like about Jaskier in the books and kind of minimizes the really problematic aspects of Dandelion in the books. Yeah, there's a couple of things he said in interviews. Um, one of the things that he said in um, the podcast interview was that he is, you know, as soon as he got cast, he went, he read all of the books and he read them in three and a half weeks, which is very relatable. That's so that's basically what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he went and played The Witcher 3 because he said he wanted to understand not just the character, but the fandom around the character and what the character meant to people before he like developed his portrayal of the role. The other thing was um, he did that sort of promo spot with Netflix Poland, I think, where he talked about... Um, what he wanted to get out of Yaskier and what the writers wanted to get out of Yaskier was emphasizing not so much the womanizer thing from the books because that sort of played out, but that he just sort of falls in love with everyone he's in front of all the time. Mm. <laughs> and and I think we see that and that just makes us love him even more. And that is actually something like a lot of people have mentioned to me personally, like that um like they they the, the, the thing that, like, they prefer about Yaskir in the TV series to Yaskir in the books, and I, I kind of genuinely really agree with them, is that it's a shift from just, like, womanizing Bard to someone who is such a hapless romantic that he actually just genuinely does, like, fall in love with everyone that he sees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Including himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he say something along the lines that, like, uh, if he has one dream, it's that his the D and D campaign that he DMs would be made into a Netflix series? <laughs> yes, he did say it's that. The most relatable human being alive, like it's unbelievable. He's kind of perfect. Um, he, yeah, an actual angel walking among us. So God bless Joey Beatty, which will be <laughs> a sentiment repeated many times throughout this episode. Oh yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> So shall we, uh, shall we pick up? <laughs> um, with- yeah, so uh, naturally, as the last episode ended with Siri wandering into the forest with spooky voices in her ear, and then it picks up with her being in the forest and lost and suddenly pounced upon by a set of wild women who we will later discover are the dryads. Um, but we sort of assumed Elvin at this stage just because, you know, by reputation, that's kind of what we come to expect elves to be, but they're not it's a bit more complex than that. And she introduces herself to them as Fiona, as opposed to Cirilla. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty interesting introduction. Yeah, so it's just a really short scene where, yeah, she just snaps out of that trance and she's surrounded um, by the dryads and they're speaking elder. I was relieved to know that when she snapped out of the trance, she was actually worried about where Dara was. Um, mm. Because, I mean, he, we see him get shot and then she's just... Imagine just abandoning him like like that. Otherwise, like pretty cruel. <laughs> like, and yeah. I have to say, like, like this the, this bit of the episode that I was like, oh, okay, so Dara is a, is going to be alive. Okay, that's fine. Because I thought that, like, at the end of the last episode, that okay, that's it for Dara. My brother now killed. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and of course we get the name of the forest, which is uh, Brokelon Forest. Which this is portrayed, I think, quite a bit differently than it is in the in the books. Um, if Correct me if I'm wrong, but in the books, it's just a normal forest that is the traditional territory of the Dryads, whereas here it's portrayed as being sort of out of place and time. Fangorn, kind of. Yeah, like the, it's a different climate, it's a different sort of lighting, it's a different 
It was like completely yeah, out of place in time. It's suddenly it's tropical in that in that complete winter. Like I I I feel. I assumed in my head when I was reading it that it was like the forests outside um, Flotsam in Witcher 2, you know, kind of temperate and full of aracas and um, that kind of thing. That's what I assumed it was. So it was interesting to see it portrayed as just sort of a dead, spooky, dying old forest, as you say, lost in mm-hmm. space and time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a very weird kind of like ethereal quality to it. I didn't think about that before, but as you say, yeah, it didn't really feel that alive. You don't see much wildlife in it. Mm-hmm. And that, like, is something that... I, I wonder to what degree that's, like, a deliberate choice. Because, like, in the books it is described as still quite a vibrant place. You do see wildlife in it. Even if it's also, obviously, mm-hmm. like, a magical forest. You know? Are they not hunting for deer and stuff? Yeah, at point yeah they're point. always I'm pretty hunting. sure that it's yeah. mentioned that they constantly hunt. So, like, Broculon in the, in the books is very much, like, you know a living forest, a nature preserve. Yeah, it's just more like a forest that's their traditional territory that they defend ruthlessly, and that's what sets it apart, rather than it being, like, actually out of time. Yeah, yeah. And for that matter, I don't think, like, you know, in the books there isn't any evidence to suggest that it has some wee microclimate that lets it ignore the winter around it. <laughs> no, I think you can pretty much only tell the boundary by where the arrows start flying yeah. more so than yeah. any kind so, of... So, <laughs> uh, like, I think... It- must be at least like partly deliberate uh like you know artistic license and i think that's interesting if nothing else it's a it's it's a slightly different way to depict the entire thing yeah another just fabulous scene um in the pub (laughs) where (laughs) a poor despairing man describes the white wolf and tells in a very lovely and rich welsh accent the story of Geralt being consumed by the silkimore oh yeah very enthusiastic Uh, very, yeah. very sad. <laughs> yes, yes. He, he was he was consumed by the Selkimore and then he died. And Gaskier's response of, "Ah, he's fine." <laughs> well, it's just like, "Oh, this is great stuff." This G- is great. Never, yes. never provides as <laughs> much <laughs> detail. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, in comes Geralt. Yeah, because yeah, the, the guy is like, uh, uh, "Yes." Well, then he swallowed him whole, and Yasker's just like, "Nah, he's fine. He's, he's all right." <laughs> so this is our what third, fourth mention of Geralt being just stinky and gross. To be totally fair, this is a very legitimate <laughs> case of like, I like it doesn't look yes. like he's not gross at this time. This is covered true. in sulky more guts and all that. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Yaskir starts a very cute um, chorus of toss, your, yeah. toss a coin to your witcher. Yeah, it's, and I think it's worth noting they refer to him as the white wolf and everyone's cheering and happy to see him as opposed to, you know, calling him the butcher Blaviken and hating him as a mutant and being scared of him. So clearly his propagandizing in favour of Geralt has been eminently successful by this like, point. Yes, that's right. Good PR. It's a good PR practice. Yeah. 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 Last episode, we saw things were going a bit better for him in terms of his armor was better and he was looking better. Uh, and then now he's he seems to be quite famous. And in relatively good spirits um, before he's fuck yes. off bard. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing is I watched it with this. I started watching it with the subtitles on and because sometimes Geralt speaks so softly when he's annoyed that you don't really notice what he said and just assume it's a hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but after they start that chorus of toss a coin to your witcher, he actually says yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that, that was pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've started watching it with subtitles now as well for that kind of reason. Um, uh... <laughs> and 
scene of ah i'm so psyched to talk about the bath scene the bath scene oh yes oh me too i've got a lot to say because there is discourse about this scene there's so so much to love about this scene Um, yes i'll I'll let you lead (laughs) oh we're not we're not there yet though is there an interim (laughs) no he's got to talk Geralt into going to the the thing first yes so Yasker, you know, points out what's going on here, that Geralt's become famous and this is Yasker's doing and he should be, you know, getting a fee as like an agent or a promoter. He should be getting 10% of all his coin. But instead, all he's asking for is a favor. One night of keeping watch over him at this well, party. Initially, initially, he says he, sa- he says that like he's uh, like just offering Geralt to wine, women and song. And then like we go to the bath scene where Geralt is at the bath. Yes. And Yasker begins explaining <laughs> that... He is going to a party yes. where there are a lot of, you know, angry husbands who are set with Yaskier's <laughs> previous adventures with their wives. Uh, wives, concubines, <laughs> mothers sometimes. Mothers sometimes. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a gregarious fellow. Yes, he's so cheerful about uh, it. <laughs> he gets around. So, so, so Geralt, of course, like, you know, uh, my favorite bit in this scene is where Geralt gives a very dramatic line in response to, like, he go, to this where he just goes like, "I don't care. You stuck your like sausage in the wrong royal pantry. I don't get involved <laughs> in the petty squabbles of men." Yes, I will not kill anyone for the petty squabbles of men. But like the look he gives Yaskier and the look Yaskier gives him when he does that that line about hid your sausage in the wrong royal pantry. It's just like Geralt again making his terrible jokes but I thinking know, they're good. This one actually legitimately <laughs> cracked me up the first time about the line. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> oh, but this is after like the funniest line in the entire series, because you know, um, how you why wouldn't you help your best friend in the whole wild world? And girls, I'm you know, not your friends. And it's like, oh well, who else? <laughs> why else would who else would rub chamomile on your lovely bottom? <laughs> it's just... Yes, which that is the line that launched a thousand ships. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's talking about the very unsexy nature of treating saddle sores i'm sure but <laughs> of course also i yeah. think that like this he is literally <laughs> the only person who has ever given Geralt a bath like 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 you have to understand <laughs> this is probably the first time that Geralt has washed off all the stink like that, that that's kicked on <laughs> well that that didn't involve a sex worker doing well it. exactly right so <laughs> well i will imply or suggest that this is probably not the first time though because i would assume he gave him a bath before if he was rubbing chamomile on his lovely bottom that's that's fair but it was probably yes yes here is probably the only person following her him around giving him baths treating his saddle sores that's that's friendship that's camaraderie (laughs) (laughs) sure is but we also get um the line from Geralt going, um, you know yasker asked oh do witchers ever retire yes oh when they when they get slow and get killed um, it's like, so don't you want anything? I want nothing. I need no one. The last thing. Girls being like really hyper dramatic yeah. in this scene. It's um, it's. I honestly think that he's recognizing what's happening here in terms of like, oh, actually, like he does see me as his best friend, and oh, I cannot be having that, and is like pulling away because of the. No, I mean it definitely yeah, is. Like, like and... uh, it's just it's just that like he like like you yeah. know it's it's quite funny because he's using very dramatic language to dram- describe like really mundane things, like um you know I mean I don't have friends who would ask me to physically protect them from people whose wives they've slept with, 
But like, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I would respond <laughs> that, to that true. situation. But I'm not sure I would use the phrasing. I do not get involved in the petty squabbles of men. <laughs> I might just, I might just have to now. If that, like, like now, if I'm ever placed in that situation, I will be forced to use that line. But... <laughs> <laughs> okay, the best thing was Yaskier's response, though, which was, "Except you actually do all yes, of the time." Yes, find that that one. <laughs> A very nice call-out of the entire Witcher series. <laughs> like, it's basically it's basically Yaskir serving the role of narrator for all of five seconds there. Well, he has acknowledged in the past he is an exposition sponge, isn't he? Uh, Which is great, because it's pretty meta-textual, because that's what a bard does. And in, um, in the Witcher 2 um, special edition, that's what he does in between the scenes. Um, the cutscenes between different scenes are and actually like some of the you remember that like some of the intertextual books and bits in the books as well um, are excerpts from Yaskier's like autobiographical half century of poetry and um, in Witcher 3 the introductions to the scenes and the loading screens are narrated by old dandelion yep yep and those are very annoying that you can't skip them like they are genuinely (laughs) the most annoying thing about the Witcher 3 you can mod them out I assume I never see the cutscene anyway We didn't really get through the rest of, of the scene where the, the sort of the dialogue at the end of the scene where he says, uh, where Yaskier says to him, you know, come on, you must want something for yourself once all this monster hunting nonsense is over with. And Geralt says, I want nothing. And Yaskier sort of like leans down and looks right in his eyes and says, well, who knows? Maybe someone out there will want you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not particularly But subtle. Geralt can't believe that anybody who he isn't paying wants him, so... Geralt shuts down a lot of flirting in this in this episode, I have to say, by just being broody and Geralt, as we'll see in those scenes with Calanthe later on. Yeah. <laughs> but after all of this uh, flirting, he, you know, he realizes his clothes are gone. And he says, so, you know, where the fuck are my clothes, Yaskir? Um, and he sent them away to be washed because he's not going tonight as a witcher, which you could also <laughs> interpret as this is a date. Also worth <laughs> saying that, like, he does note, like, with, like, honestly, a fantastic face, like, just perfect expression. Well, um, they were kind of oh covered in selkie more, guys. Oh, his face. Yeah, it's like, Geralt, did you not expect him to get like, washed just before like, you Just like the again? genuine, like... like, brief moment of shock in his face that he's even being asked. <laughs> What's happening is fantastic. <laughs> like oh, I, I genuinely think that, no one takes that care of him. He had never washed clothes before in his life, or never had anyone who cared enough about him to send his clothes to be washed. Which is like, oh, they're so soft, and I love them so much. Uh, so yeah, ball scene. Geralt appearing in finest yes. garments. Yes, here's literally first words are now be quiet. We can't have anyone finding out who you are. And then a bearded guy just chimes in with Geralt of Rivia. <laughs> we find out that that's that that's the, <laughs> the druid mouse who, who uh, serves the skeleton crown and yes, has come we've here. We've seen before with yes, Siri yes, when she was character, just clean. younger. Yeah. It's immediately dating. Which lets us know kind of it. when this is. Obviously, he's in Sintra. Yeah, it's. I I think it before it's ex- fallen. Well, it doesn't explicitly say it, but it heavily implies that it's, it's his first time there. It, and and Mousak becomes our source of exposition for um, what exactly the hell is going on here in this ball. Uh, so so uh, is it then that we find mm. out that yeah, Princess Pavetta of Sintra 
Queen Calanthe's daughter. Yeah, there's a bit of political intrigue that we're introduced to, and I think um... she's they're looking for a for a marriage alliance. Yeah, so for her. he gives us this exposition that this is theoretically an attempt to find a, a husband for Pavetta, but that actually the deal's already basically been sealed, and that it's going to be Crack and Crate, who we'll get to know a bit in future seasons, uh, is meant to be marrying Pavetta, and this is all kind of just for show. And then points out that uh, Crack and Crate is Ace Tursek's nephew, and that Ace and Calanthe have been gliding around each other like mating swans, yeah, but the, the Calanthe is not one for living in her husband's shadow. Can I, can I by the way, just say yeah. that like when Sapek like you know goes lazy on the Elder speech and and just lifts words straight from Scottish Gaelic, I am immediately like irritated. By the mispronunciation of it. <laughs> like, the way they're pronouncing East last name <laughs> is probably correct for in-universe elder speech, but it is also an, a, a, a word in Gaelic that is written the exact same way and is not pronounced the way they do. Is what does like, it mean um, in Gaelic? It's like sorrowful, turshach. Oh. Yeah. It literally means it literally oh, no. means sad. Oh. East last name is sad. Oh. 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 Oh gosh. And this, listeners, is the insight you get from a Scottish podcast. <laughs> Krakenkrait also, like, clearly, like... Now, Krakenkrait doesn't mean anything, I'm pretty sure. Um, Krach, maybe, but but Ankrait doesn't. Um, but uh, an interesting thing is that, that you can still see um, the, 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 the logic of Gaelic grammar in there. Because, um, like, it feels like it, it just, without getting too much into detail, it's like, like, the un in the middle feels like the, the, the Scottish Gaelic word for of. Ah, oh, so it's like de or von or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, and, and it's, uh, yeah, basically it, yeah. it, it feels like, like, I, can, I don't remember what they're called, but like a last name based on your place of origin. There, there must be a word, yeah. like a locunum totally or something. I've totally forgotten what the word like, yeah i think it i think like, that is yeah, that, yeah i think that might actually be it but oh well <laughs> um, yeah jaskier gets caught out by a merchant who wants to see his body yes <laughs> yes there is a rushes to his rescue <laughs> there is a merchant who um whose wife cheated on him with someone and um who who uh whose like face he doesn't remember but like he he he, as he says, he that that pimply arse he would remember anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and Geralt has to rush to Yaskier's rescue. And um, this is wonderful because Geralt is there to be the muscle, but he decides to save Yaskier by being sort of witty and denigrating, and convinces the Lord <laughs> that Yaskier is a eunuch because he was kicked in the balls by an ox as a child. It was, it was, it was the greatest line. <laughs> I know that my lord that he has the face of a cad the coward. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but you see he was kicked in the balls as a child. <laughs> he ends up actually convincing the lord to give Yaskir a coin to buy himself. A, he rolled a charisma like a crit a on that one. <laughs> 20, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fantastic. Yeah. Um Gaskier's less than impressed with this, but you know, he's alive and he keeps the money, so That's what matters. Like how picky can you be really? So 
No. I think yeah, I I noted in this um, in my notes that you know there is they they do exchange glances after this and there is a genuine warmth at this point between them. There really is that um, smile both. when Geralt kind of finishes talking to him and then sort of tilts his head and smiles a little and says, "Try not to get any daggers in your back before dawn." Yeah, yeah. Mind you, yeah. Edgar seems pretty frustrated that his reputation has been damaged. <laughs> <laughs> after all the effort he's put into the white wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like, like, cause, cause, it, it is quite funny because, because it's one of those things where, like, you can tell that Yaskir, um, like, uh, does take some sort of, like, you know, stupid, like, masculine pride out of, like, being known as, to use Geralt's words, a cad and a coward. <laughs> like, um, but also he's in a situation where that's literally endangering his life, so Geralt is, like, doing him a massive favor. <laughs> At least and uh, as that wraps up, uh, enter Calanthe. Yes. Um, yes. After doing a mild bit of genocide. After doing a mild bit of genocide. Um, yeah. My gosh. I. Oh, her swagger as she just walks in, covered in blood, full suit of armor. <laughs> um, Goddamn. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So she. Yeah, swaggers in, covered in blood, full suit of armor. Yaskir is about to start his triumphant performance, but decides to start with, like, a dirge for some reason. He thinks this would be appropriate. But probably um, immaculate terminology is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Calanthe um, says, um, you can save your model in nonsense for my funeral. I'll play a jig. And, of course, that's some very dark foreshadowing. Um <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah. And yes, we learn that she's been engaged in some some vile genocide because uh, she walks up to P- Pavetta, who is looking very upset. Um, like, she's, she says earlier that, like, uh, some townships in the south needed reminding who was... That killed. was it, yes. Mm. I, I don't think genocide is quite, like, the right no. word, but, like, class warfare from yes. above. <laughs> Purges. Suppression. Yes. Like, mm. as it is implied, I think, that, like, the the people who she was killing here were just like human peasants. Okay. Like, I, I don't think there's oh, a racial right. aspect. Oh, it wasn't this, the elves but, yet. <laughs> like, like these are you know like Witcherverse monarchs. They they kill a lot. That of said, people. when she walks mm-hmm. up to Pavetta and sees Pavetta's upset and sort of tells her to get her shit together and you know you you did you think I wanted to marry your father? I'll have none of your waterworks here. Sort of, you know, get it together. And Pavetta snaps back at her. Perhaps I should have some starving serfs brought into slaughter then, or I could decapitate some elves and have their heads hung about as a lesson to those who would defy me. Yeah, yeah, but that's the <laughs> thing. She's like using non specific examples yeah. of just the general sort of a calamity does all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, I think in this case, we genuinely don't know who it yeah. was that she was killing, yeah. but like. But also, like, I think that's, like, it's a, it's a, in some way, like, sort of telling because, like, it's like you get the. Like like later on in this episode, to to be- mention something that happens briefly later, later we do, you do get it mentioned that Calanthe suppressed like you know several like elven uprisings and led reprisals against like elven populations mm-hmm. as a result. Um, like mm-hmm. in the aftermath of them, and and I think it's like interesting that in this moment you sort of like where where like Calanthe Cal- walks in, where you sort of actually get how it looked from the perspective of her and all her you know high lords like you know suppression of the population is just like a completely everyday practice thing. yeah 
when you're a feudal yeah. monarch. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I, I just think that's, like, an interesting moment. Mm-hmm. Like, because, you know, it's, it's, like, a pretty gruesome thing is being discussed. She just murdered some people. She's still covered in their blood. Like, I mean, she rode from the other other side of the kingdom. So she, if she's still covered in their blood, then, like, she she has has not oh, washed a for a couple of days. Yeah. This is done to make a point. She'll be yeah. Like, Oh yeah, she's absolutely yeah. trying to make a point that like no matter what's going on at this wedding feast, she is in charge, and if they don't like it, take a look at what she's capable of. And she, exactly. And she said to Pavetta as well, you know, you have your mother's blood, yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah, um, and sort of all that matters to her is sort of like a legacy <laughs> and maintaining the power of Sintra. And can I can I mention actually, mention actually a bit of lore relevant to this from mm-hmm. the books? Mm-hmm. I think it's in Times of Contempt that like where Geralt goes t- talks to. A lawyer about Sintran succession practice. <laughs> like, yeah, this is the kind of thing that uh, happens in these books, guys. You should read them. They're very exciting. <laughs> they, they talk about succession practices a lot. It's like it's like the Star Wars The Phantom Menace if you cut out all the boring non-trade conflict bits. <laughs> I don't know why people didn't like that film. But for me, the conflict bits were the most fun. I would have cut everything that isn't about trade embargoes. <laughs> He talks to a lawyer at, at one point, basically, and uh, he met, the lawyer mentions that uh, in Sintra, women, like, are not normally Queen's Regnant. Like, Calanthe was not a normal, ordinary successor. It, she only succeeded to the throne because she had no brothers and no, like, direct male relatives when her father passed away in general. Yes. Um, and she was told by the nobility that... Um, they, like, she can only, she can only reign not as, not as queen, but as queen consort, so she had to marry and, you know, bear a son and hand her throne mm-hmm. over then. That's kind of like, uh, why her marriage in yeah. the UK is <laughs> the queen. Aye, aye, and, and, um, and, like, uh, she failed to bear a son, she bore Pavetta, and then her husband Under died. Under very suspicious circumstances. Very suspicious Possibly after trying to do to her what happens to Callus. Exactly. Um, so, like, there, there's an entire situation where we know in canon that Calanthe constantly needs to remind the nobility that, you know, the law can say whatever it likes, but I am in charge. Mm-hmm. And I think like you know yeah possibly not entirely deliberately but i think this this scene is actually a kind of nice reflection of that bit of lore from That's the books true. as a summary of her character she's a warrior queen yeah. and not even through like you know accident of birth but from the fact that she is actually taking the necessary steps to maintain that position mm-hmm. i actually think and i know we aren't at it yet but that they did this sort of thing that isn't in the books with callus in this episode is sort of a good way of illustrating the kind of thing that happened to Calanthe without having yeah, to... Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a point I never considered, but they actually fight form a kind of natural contrast in this episode. Like, you can you, you, can, you can tell the sort of thing, like, you know, essentially, like, you know, the idea is that here in the Northern Realms, a queen survives and reigns if she is tough, mm-hmm. like, and if she clings to power by every last drop of, like, peasant yes, blood. Yes, which recontextualizes the way she's telling Pavetta to, like, stop crying, be strong, you have to marry who you have to marry, you can have who you want afterwards. Yeah, yeah, like, that, that, that's also, like, you know, the same thing, because she's basically telling Pavetta that 
power will open all doors. Just do what is necessary in the interim. Yeah. Just wait yeah. till you get there. And so, of course, um, as the scene ends, we head straight back to Siri now with having met her mother. <laughs> because, I mean, I'm sure we can put together that Calanthe's her grandmother, this is Calanthe's daughter, that's Siri's mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be yeah. <laughs> and that gives us our timeline clue. Obviously, her mother's not married yet, so that tells us this is about 13 years in the past. That's yeah. minimum for them. We cut yeah. to um, them asking Siri, aka Fiona, how she ended up in Brokolon Forest, or her saying she can't remember the the, the trance or how she ended up there. Is she has and... a conversation with yeah, Dara, yeah. right? You're... Like who finds out? Who yes, we we find Dara. She's fine. But that Siri is Cyrilla of Sintra, the princess of Sintra. Like, and that's what Dara mildly, yes. completely legitimately. Flip, flips out, like, saying that your grandmother killed my parents because yeah. they they were killed in reprisals after the Elven yes, Uprising. Yes, it's a very short scene. It, it is basically just she finds out Dara's alive, they pour some of the waters of Brokolon on his wounds, he's fine, they're asked to drink the waters, and then... Which, by the way, is, is like, a funny thing to me because it is a complete fucking divergence from canon in terms of... Oh, yeah, they're like Brokolon a brood do. kind of hallucinogen in the books right whereas this is like their tree sap yeah yeah like I... yes the waters of oblivion yeah. they're the, that's what they're called in the books they do make you forget but here it's implied it's basically a temporary thing it also just like tests whether you are a kind person which is well... a lot, lot more like you know like or rather whether you mean any harm to broccolon which is a lot lot more mild than what happens in the books, which is to say, they literally just shoot everyone who approaches. Might, might. In the books, probably Dara would have survived even without even all of this tension, because he he is an elf. Yeah, they, they wouldn't probably... have shot him because he's an elf. Yeah, yeah. I will say, they do what they do describe the Waters of Brokolon as in the show is, you know, um, all newcomers to the forest must drink the waters. If they bear ill will, ill intent towards Brokolon, they die. If they're pure in heart, they survive and may stay here. And over time, the waters of Brokolon will lesser the suffering they have endured and make them forget. So it does, over time, erase memory, which is, I think, what happens to the girls in the book. Is like they, the more they drink of the waters of Brokolon, the more they lose their memories and sort of become no, dryads. I, I, I think I think in the books it is a case of they literally instantly lose yeah. their memory. Well, no, because there's like, that one girl that like is still sort of remembering and tells Geralt her yeah, real name. Yeah, that is because she's remembering despite everything. Because, right. like, uh, the, the, the idea is that, like, the wars of Brokilon are not powerful enough to overpower the human soul, basically. Like, mm. that, like, if you dig deep enough, you can you can subvert that magic. Like, whereas, whereas like, you know, um, here there's a weird kind of thing where, like, Dara drinks them later on, right? And and mm-hmm. he still remembers who Siri is mm-hmm. for that matter, like, um, mm-hmm. but like also again, to to be clear, it is still a departure from canon because like here the dryads are depicted as much more. Oh welcoming. yeah, they're pretty benevolent They're basically here. okay with you visiting as long as you know you drink their weird magic water. Whereas in the books yeah. they're like, well, <laughs> if you're an elf, you can visit. Yeah, if and... you're a human and you're a. Like, they already, but like, they do just... say things like that they do watch the elves when quite suspiciously when they come into the forest and stuff. So, mm-hmm. so like, that's already, you know, like, pushing their limits. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Well, they won't be no, Skyatel yet. It's Skyatel aren't a thing. Well, well, no. well the dryads. But it is wild that they shot at Fiona yeah. and Dara, though, because they don't shoot girls because they kidnap them, and they don't shoot elves. Yeah. Well, they didn't. They didn't. They, they, did, they didn't shoot. <laughs> shoot is it, visible? Oh, it's, well, that's like, true. Um, and also that said, um. If I remember correctly, they only sort of like kidnap some of the girls. Like they, they kidnap them when they are like actively needing, for lack of a better word, new recruits. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, they don't shoot elves. Like like uh, I I did I do think that this is one of those moments where like uh, what creative liberties were taken <laughs> with these scenes in Brocklon were partly to make it a bit more dramatic when they do shoot at Dara. Mm-hmm. Like, but, mm-hmm. by the way, but, like, that said, like, I'm now talking about it, I'm thinking, you know, I'm just realizing that, like, when you take these scenes as a sequence, um, and this is probably the first time in this podcast series that, like, I'm actually going to say anything negative whatsoever about the TV series, so bear with me, but, like, <laughs> when you take these scenes as a sequence, they don't really make a totally coherent amount of sense, because first they shoot Dara, like, you know, first mm-hmm. there's that entire deterrence angle, um... Mm-hmm. As we say, that doesn't totally chive with the book canon either because they don't shoot elves. But, you know, let's leave that. They shoot Dara, right? Um, but then next we see Dara. They're actually quite nice to him. And they're just like, oh, yeah, you can absolutely visit Brocolon. Just drink the waters of Brocolon. Why shoot people then? <laughs> like, what is the logic? Like, like, are you trying to frighten yeah. people into drinking? Yeah. I suppose... They've, they've immobilized him so he's not a threat so then they can safely go over and see who he is and then when they work it out yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. okay, I'll, I'll take that. that yeah sure but it's it's <laughs> just it's just it feels it feels like you know the, like it's a like it's a little bit of a tension what's the word the roller coaster with um very little point to the <laughs> roller coaster mm-hmm. so what yeah. what we get here is um that they're told that they must both drink the waters and then all will be revealed because they're sensing that there are a lot of secrets here that aren't being revealed um and that fiona slash siri is worried about a lot more than just fleeing the war but then it cuts back to the ball and kraken crate and another one of the nobles are having an argument about manticores a guy with a very french accent is is having a very intense yes about who which one of them has actually killed a manticore and uh, like, and and uh, what's her face? Calanthe is asked, uh, like, says we have an eminent guest in the house tonight, and uh, asks Geralt to step in on the argument. And Geralt initially says that like neither of these lords has killed a manticore, honest. But then like looking at Yaskir's yeah. expression, Yaskir gives him just this look of like, <laughs> do not ruin my night, um... <laughs> or like my life more yeah. like to be honest. <laughs> like Geralt just goes like. Fine. I suppose maybe the laudable honorable lords have faced rare subspecies of manticore, <laughs> which is always the the zoologist's compact. Yes. <laughs> yeah, get out clause. I think as well it's worth mentioning um, that Krakan Create is a is a Scot in this, whereas in the games the Skelligars are generally They are a kind of Scottish though, like because because they're like one of their classes is literally called Drummond. Yeah, their 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 um their voices are Irish, but their um their culture is a mix of North. So and is Scotland. a good chunk of Scotland, really. They're basically they're basically the Western yeah. Isles. They're they basically like the Hebrides. Are you a Norse Scot, yeah. or do you just have a Norse name? They're, they're, um, uh, my parentage is 
kind of Norse, yeah, but also uh-huh. Irish. So I'm <laughs> I'm a motley assortment of the various uh-huh. animals around us. So in short, confirmed that Magnus is from is from Skellige. You were wondering. I mean, like I've doxed myself as being from <laughs> from Ard Skellig. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I think something that's worth noting here as well is um, when you know the tension rises and you know the lords kind of look at him like, oh, um, the, the French is it the French sounding guy calls him the butcher of yeah Blavica. yeah. Um, he's not the white wolf anymore. He's not the witch. He's the that butcher so of Blavica. I, I, by the way, I find that I find that all of those two seconds very annoying for the simple reason that like he uses the name mockingly and the lords laugh. And I was just like, but that wouldn't fucking happen because when you call someone the Butcher of Blaviken, everyone perks up and falls dead silent out of fear. Yes, he's renowned for massacring. I did like it, not the laughter, but I did like the use of that and the way they turned so quickly because it shows like for all of his like newfound fame and respect and all the work Yaskier's been doing for him um, that, you know, Witcher's sort of acceptability is always conditional. And the second yeah. they don't yeah. like you, or the second you do something that would be fine for a human to do, it's like that. You're back to being a monster. Yeah, yeah. It, it goes it goes back and forth between being the white wolf and being the butcher of Blaviken. No, it is is a cool scene. It's just like what pissed me off was that like he treats it as like something to mock Geralt with, and then and then like the lords are actually finding it funny. I was like, no, in real. <laughs> They would be they would be shitting their well, pants. Well, I don't know. Sintrins are a pretty yeah. brutal lot, so it's true they do. Their have, queen like, did just no, walk no, in no, and no. say she needed to put down some starving peasants, so <laughs> covered in their blood. They do have no filter there. <laughs> That's true. There was also the bit in the scene where um, there's the but the song and Jaskier turns around. And <laughs> yeah, so Calanthe's trying to diffuse yeah, the, the tension song. by saying, "Oh, well, perhaps you can tell us about your victory against the elves at the end of the world," and. Girls basically like, nah, didn't happen. The- <laughs> but the song, but the song. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Don't ruin this for the me. The expression is fantastic because it's literally just like you realize you're destroyed by career. And he's got his teeth clenched. He's like talking through his clenched teeth. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> this is my professional credibility. Oh, because Geralt has such a good line here about what happened with the elves, about how, you know, he got his ass kicked by a ragged band of elves, but at least he didn't, you know, shit his bridges when Philavandrel's knife was at his throat. And that's all I can hope for you, my lords, at your final breath, a shitless death, but I doubt it. (laughs) Once again, Geralt's unfunny jokes that he's rationally kind of... Like, honestly, it's such a fantastic, actually, character quirk. I do love it, because, like, he literally will say something so wooden, and he will laugh at himself, (laughs) and it's actually, like... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like he just would really thrive if he had the internet, because this is the kind of thing that... These these would make great, like, shitposty tweets. (laughs) Geralt would be a fantastic shitposter, that's all I'm saying. Geralt would run a podcast. <laughs> well, he doesn't talk, so that'd be really hard. <laughs> it's it's fine. It would be mostly like ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to Geralt like hum and growl cast. for like half an hour. He'd <laughs> have one of those like cat accounts where he just goes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, uh, Ace uses this as an opportunity to like 
try to big up Calanthe and kind of... Because, yeah, we forgot to mention this, but, like, Mousesack mentions that, that Ace is super... Yes, they've been gliding around each other like mating swans. Um, and, and you know, Ace uses this the opportunity for a very clumsy flirt that she sort of, like, brushes off the kind of rude way by flirting very blatantly with Oh, Geralt. yes, because Ace says to Calanthe, says, oh, uh, Calanthe, your, your majesty, like, if... If it had been if it had been you there, it would have been your blade at Philavandril's throat. And she yeah, just kind of rolls her eyes and is like, says to Geralt, "Come take a seat by my side while I change." <laughs> TV series Calanthe is actually sort of horrible to East. I'm sorry, like like even in the beginning, right of the series, mm-hmm. like she says things like like um, like where where like East is trying to be romantic and goes like, "This is reminding me of the time you finally saw sense and said yes." She responds with. I did it to save my kingdom. And no, you may not leave this shindig. Uh, like, she just kind of Sundari, like, it's fine. <laughs> she, she is very Sundari. And you know what? Like, it is fine. But like, it's just, God damn it! you're kind of horrible to him. Please be nice, Calanthe. <laughs> I know, because he like, really loves her. He goes out of his way to like, help her in everything, <laughs> as we will see further in this fucking episode and series yeah but anyway but let's get back to but it yeah the uh, take a seat by my side while i change is a bit uh whew, uh all right <laughs> yeah i mean i mean do i mean do we think anything happened there because <laughs> i mean Geralt's infertile so it's and she's she's single <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. i mean to be totally honest there will be fanfics already written about that moment so. yeah and given Geralt's interactions with women, I mean, the typically he ends up with at some point. She fits, she fits his type, and he basically kind of just sleeps his way across the continent in the books. So, if, if this computer, if this was the computer game, then yes, there would absolutely be <laughs> absolutely. A, a, a few cutscenes. Yeah, would have been an option. <laughs> would have been an option. Yeah, at the bare minimum. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. I mean, she's she a very is handsome very woman, and she is really like genuinely. I do think like it's one of those things where it probably like looking at the episode, Geralt is painted as actually pretty uninterested in her, mm-hmm. and you see this like in later scenes where she's still actually quite flirtily trying to convince him to do her bidding. Yeah, I um, assume they didn't, just because of how the rest of it goes. Yeah, like Ger- Geralt literally just brushes her off so many times <laughs> that like I'm not I'm not buying it. He see he seems pretty uninterested. Yeah. I think she just reads him as a challenge. Yeah, I actually really like TV series Geralt because he's fucking monogamous in this. Like he <laughs> thus far, t- like to an actually extreme ex- like extreme because like he's basically still being monogamous to Renfrey's yeah. ghost. and like it was book Geralt is like kind of. <laughs> With the paid companionship at every opportunity. Well, to be fair, in the books he only gets paid companionship once, but he does, does get everything else pretty regularly. Sorry, I'm particularly thinking of the the episode where they or the story where they go to Novigrad and he makes one of his bad oh, yeah, jokes. They all go. They all go into into to the Passiflora, which is yes, rough. which and he makes a bad Geralt joke in that where he says, "I'll come with pleasure." <laughs> get another terrible Geralt joke. Always, always a terrible girl. Ah, <laughs> uh, sighing. <laughs> but that said, um, like, like it is, it is, it is. I think in this case, probably safe to say that 
Nothing happened, but Calanthe probably tried. I think it was her intention. <laughs> well, yeah, to try and get him to, if not being able to pay him off, trying to. There's. I will say that also that there is that there is an entirely feasible possibility that she is, for whatever bullshit reason, doing this to wind up East. Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, playing because, really hard to get. <laughs> because, like, to be fair, right? Like, she does have an interest in also like getting Geralt to do her bidding. Yes, as like we later find out. Um, but she also does have an interest in keeping East docile because she knows that you know he's an honorable guy who, although completely in love with her, mm-hmm. might not exactly follow dishonorable orders. Yeah, but we'll we'll get to that in a, a second. We'll get to that in a second. Yes, we're now back in Brocolon. Yeah, so it's um, Ciri and discovering about her heritage and what the lioness of Sintra was actually like. And um, yeah, the great cleansing is brought up and Dara's parents and she sort of said, you know, I have to find my destiny. To which Dara replies, she's dead and you are here. Um, yeah. Rather, he says, "Why? Because your grandmother told you told you so." Yes. Yeah, this was yeah the line that um the line that um Dara has here about what happened to his family is horrible. She says, "Um, you know what's the matter? Matter? Uh, your grandmother slaughtered my family. She ordered it after Philavandral's uprising. Her soldiers they laughed when they did it, killing, raping. They laughed the hardest when they were swinging babies from their legs, smashing their heads in. I was the only one left. Like yeah, I should have stayed and fought or died. Yeah. Um, and he goes, I would do anything to forget. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. And that yeah. sort of explains why he was like, Yeah, waters of oblivion. Hell yeah. 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 Let's <laughs> do it. Yeah. And I do think it's like sort of interesting how this moment, uh, slightly more than probably anything we've like seen before, establishes like the really like strong moral complexity of the universe, where like the same person can be perceived rightly as a loving grandmother and mm-hmm. also as a complete arsehole who mur- who's like soldiers murdered children, you know. <sighs> Yeah. Well, that's the thing. She's the lioness. That's yeah. what they're like. Lionesses are beautiful and terrible. That... Yes. Mind, most of them don't commit ethnic cleansing. No, they're mm. just usually anti. But I think that is something that we learn to understand about Calanthe is that everything she does is because of these sort of existential threats to her family that we're not 100% aware of yet. Well, mm. yeah, like this is the thing as well when she had been talking to Pavetta. Like, um, as we said, like, what she meant by when you're queen and you you can do whatever you like um, is that, like, essentially the idea that power opens all doors. And I don't think she's saying it, like, completely uncaringly either. I think Mm -hmm. she's trying to tell Pavetta something that, in Calanthe's view, will probably make her the most safe. Like, you have to do what you have to do now so that you can be safe later. Yeah. Like, I, th- yeah. I think it is basically a hidden message of, you know, as as women of royal blood, this is what we must do to and survive. And this is a theme from the first moment of the first episode with what happened to Renfrey as a princess, is what mm. women of royal blood have to do to survive. Exactly, because uh, Renfrey is a very good example of a very strong-willed woman of royal blood who genuinely fought 
against ridiculous amounts of like the oppression that's like that was thrust on her and like on thousands of other women who suffered because they were accused of carrying the curse of the black sun mm-hmm. um, and also like Renfri is like both similar to Calanthe in the sense that they're both very strong-willed women and also of a sil- similar age actually because like Renfri, yeah, cause... Renfri was yeah. saying that uh, Calanthe had just won her first battle of Hoshibu- at Hosh- Hoshibu's um, mm-hmm. like uh around the time when we meet as Ren- a teenager Renfrey. And, yeah, um, and Renfrey's in her 20s I think she's so. in her 20s and Calanthe's a teenager at that time so like you know Calanthe's mm-hmm. only a little bit younger than, than Renfrey which tells us how much time has passed actually because um... it does it does yeah here she has a daughter mm-hmm. who is old enough to marry <laughs> Like, um, and, 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 and they think, like, what an interesting difference between them is that despite being both very strong-willed characters, um, Calanthe is essentially, Calanthe is essentially willing to play by the rules to get what she wants. Yeah, uh, like, while, while Renfri was not willing at all to play by the rules, partly because she was never really given a chance so She didn't have a choice, she was kidnapped and raped as she, a child she, she, she didn't have a choice but like also like you know she, she does she does basically say things like you know like it comes back to that conversation where she um asks Geralt why not kill them mm. and it is basically like her revealing that like you know she is willing to take the law into her, into her own mm-hmm. hands like she doesn't care for things Yeah, she's like... not out there trying to raise an army as the deposed rightful heir. She's out there getting a bandit gang together to go on a revenge mission. It's not about, like, rights and legitimacy and law. It's about the fact that she needs justice and she will have it. Like, and um, and, and I think it's, like, actually very interesting. A, a bit what that was omitted from that first episode that, like, ties into this from the short story where Geralt... Uh, suggest to her that she should take her grievance to the king that rules over Blaviken, mm-hmm. Odia, and like use her privilege, you know, like as a lady of noble birth, like basically take Stregobor to court, like and and girl, uh, uh, sorry, Renfri just goes, I I spit on Odia and his courts. I'm going to have my vengeance. All else be done. And this you know? ties so well into this next scene, actually. We're back at the court and we actually see Calanthe sort of struggling to fit into these uh, these royal t- traditions and, and these sort of things that have to be navigated. Yasker is performing a fantastic song. I do love The Fishmonger's Daughter. Oh it's- yeah, I think The but- Fishmonger's Daughter is... Okay, one, if we're talking about Yasker again, love the gold doublet. Love he's got it done up for once. Um, <laughs> love the eyeliner. <laughs> And uh, yeah, the performance of Fishmonger's Daughter and the, the, the little wink he does when he's singing at the crowd. And like, you really get to see like the full sort of strength of his sort of performance in a way that, and you can see how far he's come as a character. You know, he's not uh, singing in bad okay. pub at the end of the world with bread being thrown at him that he has to pick up and save because he's broke anymore. He's like wearing <laughs> a gold doublet, singing at a royal court, working the crowd. Yeah, so, yeah, he's having the time. As far as life. Geralt's come in all these years, like Yaskir has also come. It, it does put into perspective Yaskir's nonsense about like, well, I should rightly be asking for ten percent of all your profits. You kind of are though, because you're making a <laughs> of money off of like, <laughs> selling tales about Geralt. 
Are you are you saying he's, he should be working for exposure? <laughs> <laughs> like he basically is working for exposure and making quite a bit of money. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but like we were talking about before about Calanthe's willingness to have to um to to fit in with sort of expectations and traditions and work them to her advantage as opposed to just sort of trying to topple them all. She's sort of changed into a sort of proper you know, royal gown, but she's sort of like adjusting the corset and complaining that she'd rather be in armor and that she doesn't um, like the way that these engagement feasts are done. Um, the vagaries of male tradition. The vagaries of male tradition. As she girl um, This is the one where she talks about sort of removing strategically, um, remove certain irritants. Mm. And this one, she's basically trying to get him to act as a sort of hard man slash assassin class soldier <laughs> yeah this is like the, the bit the this bit of the banquet is where she's like saying i could order you to and she's like well i'm not one of your subjects it's like oh so perilously direct where there's a bit more flirting oh the scene was great actually and i'm looking back at my notes sorry what i thought was great in this scene is if you look at the way pavetta and Geralt are sat opposite on opposite sides of um Calanthe, they're just like mirroring each other's body language and looking uncomfortable and exasperated. And it's just like, when it zooms out, it's just these two like ashen haired blondes looking just like they don't want to be there. <laughs> There's also a cool thing I do, I didn't notice about the scene a couple of times uh, that um, Pavetta sometimes looks over at Geralt with an expression that just screams, Who are you and why are you here? <laughs> like... Yeah. And of course, the answer to that is. Well, why she, he's up there is that Kaledi wants him to deal with any unsavory elements that may turn up. Um, and he's Which is, of course, her boyfriend. Yes. And Geralt's repeating his usual lines about not interfering, not being for hire as a bodyguard. Um, uh, he can't be tortured. He's not one for turning, etc. Et real flirty oh. energy, though. The, the way she's like, I could torture you so slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can tell that Callan phase into some weird shit in the bedroom, yeah. that's all I'm saying. Um, yeah, then, then but... you get um, Peregrine of Nilfgaard coming in and uh, getting dunked on by the court, I think my notes say. <laughs> yeah, so this... The court and more specifically the Skelligers. Yeah, yes. Ragbondu in particular is drowning him out with his bagpipes every time he tries to talk. <laughs> It's actually it's actually a very interesting like bit of lore building because like it does establish that like you know at this time the Nilfgaard is you know the arson of the world like nothing interesting. The shit or, rag or, of the south as uh, shit rag as Calanthe the, the south puts, puts it. Yeah, is it um, true you drink piss water and feed on your own young and that yeah. kind of thing? It's literally like these like northern realms are have a particular way of life and doing things and they look down. On the south in general, but especially the especially the North Guardians. It's it's when he particularly mentions you know his potent seed inside of Pavetta. Oh, um, like basically everyone everyone watching that scene and everyone in that court seemed to visibly cringe. Yes, um, it's a very North Guardian functional approach. <laughs> yeah, then then we're speaking of which of uh, you know potent seed and queens and monarchs. We're back with herself. Oh, yes. I think that this this good like you know introduces there's her being a royal advisor and stuck with this queen and this baby, and it also ages her quite. Um, well, it dates it because she talks about the last three decades clearing up politi- stupid political messes. 
Yeah. Yes, a glorified royal arse wiper, I believe she yes. refers to herself as. <laughs> yeah, so she's in this um, carriage with uh, Queen Callus and I think the most beautiful costume I've seen this season so far. Mm. And Callus has a baby, and it's um, another girl. That's almost the first thing she says, isn't it? Is, I know what they're saying, poor Callus, another girl. And this is where she has her line about the king just viewing her as a fleshy contraption for squeezing out heirs. So as we were talking about before, this is kind of about what royal women have to do to survive. Yeah, and because mm. uh, she she wants the other fur to like you know stay in Harcourt and Lyria and Rivia like once they're delivered there, but uh, just to have a friend in the court. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. she has to go back to being a glorified royal arse wiper. Mm. Yes, her... and Callus says to her like it's good that you traded traded all of this away you know because it's so boring and yeah that's when Yennefer says I'd love that I traded everything to get my seat at court be a glorified royal arse wiper yeah I, I think I could be wrong but I think this is one of the I don't know I haven't read Season of Storms yet I'm gonna get around to it eventually but mm-hmm. I, th- I think this might be one of the first major proper deviations from the source material um, I haven't read Season of Storms either yeah uh, how's this um... linked to the Season of Storms because I haven't read it, so I don't know if this bit is in it. But I'm saying this is like the first oh, no. deviation in a major oh, way from like, the Oh, this has been... Con- like, but this has also yeah. been confirmed by Lauren Hisrich that Callus is meant to be Maeve's mother. Yeah, that's my thought. Like, uh, I, I, I thought that she would, be, she would be Maeve's mother. But, like, it is it is not canon, for what it's worth. It's show canon. Yeah, it's show canon. Like, uh, but... Intertextuality. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it's not in Season of Storms. Like, Yennefer in general kind of mostly isn't in season of storms well like this is this is this isn't the first thing that like isn't really in the books like um to be totally honest let's be real here basically all of Siri's story up to the last two episodes except for the fall of Sintra itself in the first season of the series like basically isn't in the books as well mm. like yeah that's, that's but true. yeah you're right that like this is yeah. this is show canon that said it's very neatly crafted show canon it fits very neatly into yeah it doesn't feel out of place it's uh... yeah. like that's 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 why i thought it's... like that she will be beef's mother because i was like yeah that that would explain why in these seemingly generally quite not prone to queen regnants northern realms Lyria and rivia in the type of the witcher novels is being ruled by a woman yeah mm. because she only has daughters she gets killed and then presumably when shit kicks off he doesn't really have time to get himself another wife and have more yeah yeah like i mean it, it sounds presumably yeah. that like um um like like callus's husband probably didn't live for especially long either afterwards no like yeah because he wore the um, logic sorceresses probably did not take kindly to um I can imagine. I can imagine Yennefer going for some behind-the-scenes revenge after having like, to see this. To be this. totally honest, realistically, like I, I'm guessing that the reason why Yennefer is delivering Callus to Lyria and Rivia is because Callus is probably like Verfriel's sister or something, right? Like, like so. Oh, probably. Most likely, most oh, likely, Yennefer been... comes back to fucking Vengerberg, goes to her king, tells him everything that's happened, and he raises a fucking punitive expedition in the. That's what I would do if my sister was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've attempted to assassinate my royal advisor. Like, yeah. 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 Like, it, you know, it would only make sense. Yeah. Is it um 
Is it an Aracas that the Assassin's using? It at least very much looks, looks like one. I can't remember if an Aracas was something that actually existed in book lore and wasn't, you know, made for the games, but it looks a lot like, like Aracas's. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't played the game, so I called it the yeah, Extremely like Creepy Aracas Cockroach Assassin. Or, or it could be like a mini yeah, Frightener. I suppose, yeah, yeah. That's only in the games. And, and, and Frighteners are artificial. That's that's um, why they just do fucking canon. love them. That said, they're also they're also quite rare because mm -hmm. they are basically considered like you know so abominable that like creating them is like basically like even mages who really like don't like morality shy away from it because <laughs> because because they're they're just too dangerous even to their masters. Yeah, well that's why um. In the, in the first game, in the Salamandra and the Professor, that's one of the ways that they yeah. identify that he's a bad egg, because he creates a fright. Well, well rather, Azar Javed creates a fright. Um, yeah. oh, that's that's that they one, think sorry. it's the Professor, yeah, the professor because they, 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 so they like... So, basically what happens is Callus and Yennefer are having this conversation about sort of like the trade-offs of, of career versus having babies, which feels pretty relatable. Until a knife goes through the carriage, and there's clearly a massacre taking place outside. So, like, there's oh, this is great, but where like Jennifer like looks out, sort of the, the 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 slit in the in the in the carriage, and she gets blood splattered across her face. And they step outside, and there is, uh, as you say, the the mage assassin with his monster. Yeah. And Jennifer, yeah, so Jennifer tries to use her portals, which is sort of her signature magic at this point, to help them escape. So she tries to help them escape with the portals, but the uh, assassin follows. And this is where she says to, to Callus that, you know, they're being tracked. What did the king give you? You know, you've had one too many girls. Mm. It's like that prick. <laughs> yeah, that, actually that was really such a great line. Callus <laughs> She's great. To be yeah, honest. she's great. She does, she does rage and fear and indignation, like, so well. It's so much intense energy in just the few scenes that she's in, yeah. Yeah, she really steals Let's the scenes. Resist. Big queen energy. <laughs> and so they sort of... Uh, these scenes are amazing. The like, different sort of sets they kind of... Or outdoor sets, or I'm not sure which. Yeah, they they kind of jump like between, so of, they're... Like, really different kinds of places. And like, it's just kind of fun because you get the impression of like... Yeah, in like five seconds, you literally get an impression of how diverse the northern realms are. And it's kind of nice. And the immense power of mages when we, you know, we spend so much time watching sort of Geralt trudge around and then Yennefer is just like, I'm in a desert, I'm in a rainstorm, I'm in a field of dandelions or daisies yeah. or whatever, yeah. whatever flowers, field of I yellow hope flowers. I like at some point that um, explained like, you know, in, in, in series, the difference between signs and magic, because like, if like a viewer was like aware of it, it really like comes into focus, right? Because like the most impressive thing that Geralt had ever yeah. mustered was essentially a small wind in the air while <laughs> while yennefer is yeah. literally like casting herself and two other people back and forth all over the known world like it's fairly incredible yeah um and then at sort of the sort of last place they 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 portal into um you know ma using magic is exhausting uh you know, Callus is it Callus or Yennefer that's throwing Callus. up? One of them's throwing up. Yennefer's is it Callus? Yeah, Callus first. I th yes. uh, that might be in, in when they come back to them though, because then she calls her a useless witch. That's <laughs> in this scene. <laughs> oh, is it? Right. She, yeah. Um. So yeah, Callus is throwing up. Yennefer can barely stand up. Um. 
And, you know, rather than being grateful for everything Jennifer's doing, Alice looks over at her and says, get up, you useless witch. Uh, and then, <laughs> like, like, you horrible, like useless bitch. Like, Jennifer portals away when <laughs> And then Jennifer portals away right after being called. When she portals away, then Callus exclaims, you horrible, useless bitch. That's what it was, yeah. So it's get up, you useless witch. And then I think Jennifer's upset about that and just I portals do, I away. I understand Callus' <laughs> response to the human level, which is to say, like, she's panicking to fuck. But also, yeah. bam, she is and she is only human. Yeah, and she's carrying her Which, baby. To be fair, she turns yeah. out to not care about that much. Like, let's. Uh, but um, but yeah, like, that's, yeah. Um, Callus is like, you know, also being quite ungrateful to the only person who's saving her life so far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, um, Jennifer portaling away and. Callus yelling, you horrible, useless bitch, is sort of when we I feel really cut to. For the yep. one guard who survived the initial attack, went through oh. He tried so hard. Like, <laughs> he tried this, so this hard. This is the worst thing, right? Because, like, usually, you know, all the redcoats just die. And, like, you know, like, this guy, in this case, you have, like, you know, this, this one nameless guard who actually survives the initial you know, bad event, the attack, like, and then he goes into a portal and you go like, man, maybe he'll become some sort of minor character who, like, survive until the end of the episode to, you know, like, tell the story of how they escape. And no, no, he, he gets killed to fuck in the next scene. It's really upsetting. I really hate it. Like, I, I love it. I yeah. think it's better than when, like, everyone dies yeah. at the beginning. But I felt his death in a kind of way I really, you know, I'm quite surprised how strongly. He tried so he, he tries his hardest. Yeah. It was some good horror movie yeah. stuff, right? The being yeah, picked yeah. off one by one, and the way he dies oh, is yeah, so true. horrible. Yeah. That it's, that like cockroach fantastic. monsters. It's a bit like, um a fantasy Jason Voorhees. Yeah. Like, cause he's even got the sort yeah. of the hood Ooh. up and the makeup and everything. It's just yeah. Yeah, yeah. That guy is creepy. Ugh. Got some kind of like Ryan's vibes off him, though. Obviously I, not. I thought. Yeah, he, I thought it was Ryan's. Yeah. Is that Ryan's? Yeah. Like are you? You guys already introducing Rians in some context. Yeah. Yeah. Like to be totally honest, right, guys? I will say this: I think he is much more confident yeah. than we ever saw Rians being. <laughs> yeah, Rians. That's why. He lets not Rians, spoil, the fact that he managed to kill yeah. most of them. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a jabroni. Really He's a jabroni. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, like all of the Witcher novels could be summarized as. Rians thinks he's cooler than he actually is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we get a rapid change of pace and tone, um, which I think in this series it's actually been really good at, is just throwing you around a bit. Because um, yeah. this is when we get the fishmonger's daughter, and uh, I just yes. Jaskier's filthy body it's sing songs. <laughs> yeah, I love, I think it actually might be my favorite. I used to think one of the ones that comes up later was my, my favourite, but actually this one just puts a smile on my face every time I hear it. Because <laughs> it sums him up, it's just the really shitey rhyming and crude lyrics, but just played up insight. and hammed up. And, it's like you know... a great insight into the sort of thing that like Yasker used to write before he got into epic ballads because of Geralt. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I just love how full of joy he is and working the crowd and that little wink when he's sort of like facing them and just yeah oh yeah that wink um, will be in a thousand gifts being shared in a thousand oh groups. it is i am a prolific tumblr user so i can confirm <laughs> that that is in a a lot of a lot of gifts 
Oh God, I shouldn't mention my Tumblr on here. I don't want people looking at my Tumblr. <laughs> um, I didn't even know you had one. So <laughs> um, and this is um, where we get some more of the sort of sort of discourse about sort of being a woman in a position of, of power and surviving as a royal woman. So this is where Calanthe talks about having to to navigate male tradition. You know, mm. if I were a man, I could declare outright who Pavetta should marry, or better yet, let the poor girl decide her own fate. Geralt seems kind of impressed with her and with that attitude and, you know, says, don't think you're just, you know, navigating male tradition. I wager you you thrive on on it. And they're still being pretty flirty here. Yeah. But but we we also do get some exposition about witchers as well, like quite because um, yes. you know why are there so few of you left? And he, this is I think this is the first time you might hear about the sacking of Cairn Morin, which yes um, it is. It's certainly a, a lot of it's mentioned in the games, and you do get excerpts of it in the books. So I don't want to go into it too much detail because he might elaborate on it later in the series because it's such a pivotal, important thing in the context of the Witcher and why he's so rare and important. But this is like the first yeah, time you see it. it actually doesn't really come up in the books that much other than to say that it happened and we get a bit from like the Monstrum to understand why it happened, but we don't... Yeah, it was a, it was a pogrom really against get Witchers, much from basically. The books. Yeah. Um, I think just like before it kind of cuts to the action, there's this one line that sort of, I think, ends their flirtiness... When sort of she asks him, yeah, why there's so few witchers, and he gives the answer about the sacking of Kaer Morin, and then she he asks her, "You're a queen. Why are you out there in battle when you could be safe on your throne?" And she says, "There's a simplicity to killing monsters," mm. and you know says she thinks he can understand that. You know, we're quite a pair, but I think the look on his face here is kind of like there really isn't. There isn't a simplicity to killing monsters. You don't mm. know what you're talking about. Well, we've already seen it, you know, with the Solvan, which is a devil, but he still is a sentient creature that he wants and to live. And with Renfrey. <laughs> yeah, a supposed monster. Geralt has killed exactly one monster, and that was the fucking Kikimora. You might get the impression, to be totally face. honest, like, over <laughs> the course of this fucking series, that Geralt is not a very good monster hunter, because he doesn't actually hunt down a lot of monsters. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, we've established that off-screen he killed uh, a silky board. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's true. That was apparently yeah. supposed to be in the show, but it just didn't make it for, I think, budget reasons. Is a Selkie more like a Zoogle or something? Have we seen the Zoogle? Do we know what the Zoogle uh, is yet? Well, a, a Selkie more is um, literally just a Selkie, but with the Gallic word for big added <laughs> on to the end of it. So it is... <laughs> Just a big mermaid. Sorry, not mermaid. Seal. Where it's half seal, half human. So that is had to sort upsetting. Of I, don't want, I don't want to see him kill that. I'm glad it didn't make it in. Like, you know, if a, if, a, if an ordinary selkie is a, is, a, is a seal, is a half seal, half human changeling kind of thing, then a selkie more must just be a really big one. Yeah, like Jonah and the Whale sort of thing. He gets swallowed by it and cuts it out. From the inside, yeah, or yeah. Jabu Jabu so from Ocarina of Time. Giant seal with the face of a human is what I'm picturing. Gosh, Ew. that would have been. Yeah, I just don't thing. think I want to see that. I quite like <laughs> seals. Our our pal Jennifer would have been. I just say by it. Like that's all. Yeah, I Jenny would not like that at all. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get um Urchin for the first time, the Steel Knight, a knight of no renown from a backwater hamlet, appearing. I think one of the most important things here is, as well as him obviously turning up, kind of scrapping with people and demanding an audience, is, you know, 
He said, oh, I can't remove my helmet because of a knight. He so. basically broke into the castle, which yes. should I speak here is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right? Like, already pretty cool. Like, he's like, clearly a yeah. good fighter and or a smart guy. And also, like, I think, like, there's an interesting thing about the backwater Hamlet thing. Um, so I don't really speak... Really has a backwater Hamlet. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, to be fair, Rivia is a backwater Hamlet, but also a capital of a kingdom. So, you know, there's that. Mm, yeah. uh, I don't speak German, but I seem to recall somebody telling me something along the lines of, like, Erlenwald just means something like dirty forest or something along those lines. <laughs> so, like, it, it, like, sounds disparaging or something. I, I don't quote me on this. I might. I mean, Urkion sounds like urchin. Like, it's not good. Yeah. Ur- well, that, that's, that, that's actually just an archaic word for a hedgehog. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that <laughs> makes sense. What's important about this as well is how he gets identified as the urchin and how he gets identified as the monster. It's because, you know, he says, oh, I have a night so I can't take it off. And then S, obviously, to appeal to Calantha's favour, just knocks yeah. it off. And... Let me see his hedgehog face. Yeah. yeah. I do I do love East just going like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bollocks to that. <laughs> yeah, and so Calanthe's immediately trying to get Geralt on side to be like, oh, it's a monster, do something about this. And Geralt immediately says, no, he's he's a cursed knight, he's not a monster. And I think this also speaks to Calanth's dislike of non-humans. Because um, yeah. he looks like a non-human and she's immediately like, oh, kill him, I don't care what he is. Mind, normally yeah. I'd agree, but I will say that like in this case she is aware of his existence, so like she is definitely just oh, doing true. that like you know because she knew he would show up uh, yeah, yeah that's true. why she was trying to get Geralt on side earlier like, uh, this yeah. this has nothing to do with like i think like actual racial questions so much as just she didn't like him <laughs> mm. <laughs> and of course we get the law of surprise yeah and it's actually quite interestingly played because they, they don't immediately immediately tell us what it is he just goes i invoke the law mm-hmm. of surprise which is, by the way, like, the first time I was watching this, given that, like, you know, immediately, like, the fight breaks out after he says this, mm. and then, like, East basically joins in on Geralt and the Urchin's side, because they decide to help the oh, Urchin. Oh, yes, Geralt getting involved, as he does, all of the time. And the matters of men, yes. Yeah. Which, by the way, is just so <laughs> funny in its own right, because here Geralt actually had literally no motivation to do anything except sit there. Like, he doesn't, like, you know, how do you put this, have any investment in this si- in this conflict one on one side or the other. Other than that, he's but fundamentally he... a good person and understands exactly. a lot of surprise yeah, this and is can't the thing, watch right? this like, boy get just... killed. <laughs> he's, he's like, I'm not gonna let this guy die. <laughs> It's worth one. Dooney doesn't kill anyone who attacks him. Two. Geralt intervenes, doesn't kill the people who attack them. But I think the reason Geralt cares about the law of surprise is that witchers only usually exist because of the law of surprise. He only exists. This well, goes back and no. forth in the books. They say that in this episode, sort of in the short stories. But then later he says, "Ugh, well, not really." It, yeah, yeah, no, like it's, 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 it's. Yeah, like the books, uh, like the short story sort of does that, but like the books henceforth actually, if you remember their later conversation in the books, Geralt was not a result of the Law of Surprise. Geralt was simply handed over. Oh, like, you're right, yeah. The thing is, the thing is, I don't think Geralt, Geralt I don't think Geralt cares about the Law of Surprise here. Because like, he very explicitly later says in the episode that he doesn't believe in destiny, and he thinks it's bullshit made up to bring order to the bullshit of life no i think he literally i think Geralt literally only joins mm, in enough. because he doesn't want to see this young guy die 
for no reason whatsoever. And in some degree, he believes yeah, in order perhaps. and promises and that sort of thing, but not... You have to remember, like, here, it literally goes, I invoke the law of surprise, but it's not, like, stated in, like, on what basis and what... Like, in the short story, it flows a bit more naturally, because the Archeon actually gives the story of why he's entitled to the law of surprise, and then the fight breaks out. Like you might see it as kind of a parallel with Renfrey. I do agree with you, Max, though, that there is also the the idea that there's a slight parallel with Renfrey in terms of like seeing this other sort of defenseless, not that Renfrey was defenseless, person who's being accused of being a monster when really they're just yeah. Like I think that that might actually be really motivating the other, like like Geralt's actions here. Is this clearly like motivated by a sense of like this is actually there is a fantastic line in the in the short story that i constantly remember when like east side like joins the fight in this episode where he says to kalanthi at one point um so you know if you're if you if you don't honor this promise should i also treat more recent promises you have made to some people like implying you know himself like essentially as essentially mm -hmm. worthless uh yes of course it's a matter of honor and i think that's a, like a very yeah. interesting moment as well so um, yeah what's interesting as the scene plays out is so yeah Geralt runs to go defend urkion gets urkion gets hold of a weapon east steps in on their side and then kalanthi in frustration sort of steps down from the dais and like grabs a sword off of one of her knights and kicks him down the stairs and a lot of the time, a lot of the <laughs> time when you're queen. watching the scene, um, you know, Ace's pummeling people with the, the, the pommel of his sword. Geralt's not really aiming center yeah. mass, but Kalanthi is just fully killing people. Yeah. Yeah. Like Geralt's slashing their thighs. Well, and he's also like hitting them with the flat of his it's sword. It's actually and, just and, like Kalanthi kind of just fully as casual East yep. is with Kalanthi afterwards in this episode. Given that she probably cut through like, I don't know, five or six of his countrymen. And they would have been close friends of his if they, they'd been invited to this event. Yeah, they're literally <laughs> probably friends of the royal family and they're far east. Like... <laughs> it speaks to his pragmatism. Like, and he's just like, oh yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think it like speaks less to his pragmatism and just to how madly in <laughs> yes, love with her true. he is, to be honest. Like... <laughs> like, oh well, you murdered a yeah. handful of my countrymen who we uh... took as... You know, essentially members of an embassy to your court. Love, love kind of scrambles your brain in that sense, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we do kind of get that. I mean, this is such a fantasy trope, though, isn't it? In terms of, like, having the, like, really That's warrior true. martial people who, like, have brawls break out at their weddings and people dying left and right, and that's <laughs> just expected. Like, this is such a fantasy trope in a lot yeah, of ways. I suppose for them as well, he... They're, if they're Skelligers, it's like an honourable death to die in battle like that. So, like, well, they died fighting. I'm 100% so. convinced that when they say honourable death in battle, they mean in the middle of, like, somebody's betrothal feast. Like, I think that's, that's more a case of, like... <laughs> I mean, I don't, that's a, I don't fucking know anything about Skelliger culture. Maybe, maybe they consider death while drinking to be honourable. Like, it's entirely possible. Maybe they're like, like Klingons. Ah, well, sometimes accidental fighting deaths will happen. Today is a good day to die. <laughs> Today is a good day to die. <laughs> so we have all this and the tension, and it's sort of, we, again, in the pacing, it goes bananas, and we go back to the queen and the baby, and the, the queen offering so the baby as a sacrifice. Yeah, it's, it's so fucked. Just, yeah, so she's trying to bargain for her life. She says, you know, please, I can give him a boy. I yeah. know it. Take 
take her, take her as a sacrifice. Like, this is the moment where, like, I genuinely lost all my remaining sympathy for Queen Callus and was like, eh, maybe he deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> and so the assassin uses a sort of magical flying knife blade. And so he just, yeah, just knifed at the throat. That's it. Uh, exit just... Queen Callus. Yikes, man. You know, just. Yeah. It, yeah. it is grim. And then the other fur appears. Yes, to save the baby. Yes. To save the baby. Trying to save the baby. So she, yeah, she portals back in, grabs the baby. Oh, wait, portals back in, then does... Did she, like, mind control the monster? Because it cuts its own Uh, head off. Yeah, because she... Well, she does have... um, Well, she's a mage, so one she could... I think she she either uses magic to just, like, cut its head off or does make it... Its head disappears. Well, it, it brings its claws up to its, like end of its thorax and like yeah, slices so that could just its own be telekinesis as well she could just physically, physically be controlling its claws yeah um and grabs the yeah. baby grabs the baby heads for a portal but the assassin gets another magical knife that goes sort of through her shoulder yeah. and into the baby's neck yeah and um then she tries, she tries yeah. to save the baby's life through magic but it's too late yeah that's a, yeah it's a dark scene it is dark as fuck it made me cry a bit it's yeah and, and it comes back again to We'll, we'll delve into that later on because that's the, the, the scene immediately when we get back to Yen that's even darker but um, yeah Yen. and that is the crux of Yennefer's character in a lot of ways so we'll yeah deal with that when we get back to it yeah so we're back to the ball yeah the law of surprise the law of surprise is finally fucking explained mm-hmm. what exactly happened uh, yeah. and Pavetta has run to run to Urkion she's calling him Dooney and she's run run up to yeah, him yeah um Urchin you know explains exactly why he has a claim to Pavetta. We're told what the law of surprise is, which is an ancient like belief that if you've saved someone's life, you can ask for a shall we say Ridley kind of gift in return. Like you know, for instance, could I please have the first thing that you will find that you did not expect when you return home? Um, and this, the interesting thing about this is, it's not. I don't think it's Eastern folklore. It's biblical. Yeah. It's, it's it's literally biblical. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting because it kind of comes out of nowhere from the, the lore of the series. It's um... Well, I mean, you know, it, it, is, it is worth remembering that, like... Well, first of all, like, obviously, like, Slavic culture, which this series' conception of fantasy taps into, um, is still a very Christian culture at the end of the day. So it's... Hmm. So, like, it is a biblical motif, but it is one that, like... When I was reading this for the first time, I was going, yeah, like, as an Eastern European, this sounds familiar. I feel like I've heard this in fairy tales as well and stuff. Like, mm. And those fairy tales are definitely based off the biblical motif, but, like, they are still very much, like, authentic ones. I think that's interesting as well, actually, when we've talked about him getting swallowed by a sel- selkie more. That's, as I said at the time, I hadn't occurred the link to me now. That's Jonah and the Whale. And so now we've got this again. So there is kind of an overarching well, I mean, you, biblical Yeah, theme to and it. you also have to remember that, like, at the end of the day, um, like, uh, I, I like a quote from an interview Sapkowski recently did. Um, actually, probably should have mentioned this in one of the media overviews because uh, it wasn't too long ago. But he did one with a, with a Polish newspaper where they basically they asked him, like, should, uh, one particular one. Uh, he responded to with, well, the first thing that you have to understand is that, you know, you guys created this narrative that The Witcher is a massively Slavic piece of fantasy. There's only as much, you know, Slavness in The Witcher 
as there is, like, I think he said poison in a candle. Um, uh, like, he is like, you know, like, yes, obviously, because I, gr I am a Polish person and I grew up in this cultural context, I will have... He goes like, this This might surprise some of you, but mostly unthinkingly put Slavic cultural, you know, like, monsters and such into the story. Like, but I was not, I did not set out to, like, deliberately write a Slavic fantasy novel. Um, and mm. and I think that's, like, something worth remembering at all times, mm. because there, like, it is, it is, like, a very popular trope in this, this talking about The Witcher in the media, both in in, in the West and in, and in Eastern Europe, actually, like, you know, because it, it does, like, you know, bring a kind of, like, emotional pride to a lot of Eastern Europeans to go, well, the, you know, this is our thing. And it's true, like, you know, I think it's mm. something that, like, certainly, like, especially Poland can be proud of, but, like, but it isn't... You write what you know, don't you? And what you're immersed in. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you write what you know and what you're immersed in. It was, like, but not, but it wasn't, like, a deliberate attempt to create a fantasy novel series that was like Slavic as like the key selling point. So it will it will just per, like mm. have a lot of tropes from other things as well. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's worth saying as well when they come back to the discussion of destiny destiny is not very a Christian well, it mm -hmm. is in Calvinism if you're one of those people that's all about preordained nonsense yes. and Scotland's historically been very Calvinist yeah. in that it's sense, actually, so it's actually it's surprising that none of us are Presbyterians, statistically yeah. speaking <laughs> Like, <laughs> I'm Episcopalian as far as it keeps Mormons from troubling me in the street. Yeah, um, like I'm, I'm uh, Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I am a bitter, angry ex-Catholic. So <laughs> I'm what is often called a recovering Catholic. <laughs> it's, it's literally, it's literally the entire spectrum of Scottish Christianity, except for Presbyterianism, which is an which anagram is... of best in prayer. Um, Though I did, while we're talking about biblical stuff, I did want to just throw out because we will get letters if we don't say this properly. Um, the 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 biblical story with the the sacrifice of the daughter that was uh, Jephthah and his daughter, and it was like a, a yeah. Basically, he made yeah. a vow to sacrifice the first thing that yes. greeted him at the gate when he came home, and yes, and she sort of emerges, um, and it's like tied to sort of all these other stories like. Uh, Ephesonia, yeah, uh, which is like a Memnon's daughter that he has to sacrifice, and yeah, there's like a whole, whole long line of girls being sacrificed by destiny. Yeah, that's true. yeah. like and frankly, uh, even like Rumpelstiltskin is kind of like a failed law of surprise story, like in a certain definition of the word, you know. True. Like, um, because because is <laughs> this is mm -hmm. the thing, right? Like, um, as horrible as it is, it does tap into an actual real historical thing where children were frequently given away as hostages um you know in various political mm. circumstances or used as dowry mm -hmm. or in the case like you know even in yeah. scotland's political history yeah. we got you know the maid of norway yes. with our queen <laughs> yeah. For, uh, yeah yeah uh, but 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 like also like you know on a much more basic level like yes. you know also in scotland's history um you have like several Scottish princes who grew up in England because they were sent there as you know essentially guarantees of peace by their fathers. Like, um, and this was this was a habitual thing. Mm. This was done very frequently for various mm -hmm. reasons in the especially the Middle Ages, but even also before. 
it was a genuinely traumatic process, but it produced some fairy tales and legends out of it. So it is impossible to say whether it is good or bad. No, it really isn't. It, it, it's <laughs> <laughs> so we um we come to I do I'll, she comes east you know describes destiny and all of that and then of course we get the the very powerful line from and the monologue from Kalansing. I bow to no law made by a man who never bore a child. Oh, I love uh, that line. I love that and, line. Um, girls, you know, pe- destiny helps people believe there's an order to this bullshit. Um, but, you know, a promise made must be honest. And I like, wait, true and by the way, that's a kind of queen. fun thing there, because, like, Geralt, he, like, very cleverly rephrases the argument. It goes from this is just, like, like mm. you should do this not because, not to obey some, you know, archaic law. Mm-hmm. But because you gave your mm-hmm. word, mm. or like, well, your husband. Did. And he's Let's given tell. another one of his <laughs> yeah. real dramatic monologues. That I've seen mothers lash themselves raw over the death of a child, believing they cross destiny, ignoring the stench of the fifty other children in the plague cart outside. Destiny helps people believe there's an order to this horseshit. There isn't. Ugh, love Geralt's uh, intense monologues. He really fucking loves his intense mm. monologues. <laughs> I do. I do. I I, I do want to imagine. <laughs> for the comedy value if nothing else that every time Geralt gives a monologue in the background Yasker is going like oh shit not this again <laughs> just like face <laughs> like like Yasker literally just goes oh right yeah I'll be back in five minutes he does well, this here's the thing man people ask why you know wonder why Geralt's hanging out with a bard all the time but Geralt is a drama queen so oh he fucking is like if Geralt if Geralt like you know had <laughs> spare time from the witchering he would take up writing like like maybe like n- not poetry or prose but like you know plays you know what i miss there's the one thing i miss about book Geralt that show Geralt doesn't really do is book Geralt is always reading and it's sort of framed as like he's trying to impress yennefer but he's just always reading well he yeah. knows history and he knows culture he's clearly a well yeah like there, there's there's one fucking moment where like Wilgefortz actually calls about on this and just goes like sorry but where exactly did you learn the rhetoric of like the, rhetor- the rhetorical skills of a fucking orator like was it, was it in the Elander you know like temple school where they're where they teach you the alphabet and how to and how to write your shopping list <laughs> like uh, like you know in a kind of mocking way like what are you hiding you know like you claim to be like you know this this ordinary monster hunter but like you you know are uniquely talented actually in a lot of ways that like you well that's why him and dandelion get on so well like dandelion went to proper university Mm -hmm. graduated with full honors and is kind of a lecturer sometimes according to the games right so mm, the books as well so. i'm pretty sure like it basically like it said that like the university well, that's invites, him himself, to, invites him to lecture that's sometimes was, yeah yeah, All right. yeah <laughs> this is um Calanth again displays her contempt for the entire notion and tries to chip juni in the in the in the throat yeah she goes like she's going to and embrace get... him but then grabs his knife and yeah that kind of like sort of almost mirrors the, the renfrey thing i yeah. guess it really does. It really does. Like, uh, there's a lot of stabbing then, in the throat in this series. Oh, there sure is. Mm. And then we get the first sight of Pavetta having the powers that Siri also has. Yes. Yeah, Pavetta and... screams. Yes. Pavetta yes. force screams. And speaks in the yes. elder tongue. And it knocks everyone back and creates a sort of vortex around her and Dooney. 
there's um a little yeah there's like a little background yaskier stuff that starts happening here that i am very into because i've watched this episode a million times so there's this extra with yaskier for the rest of the episode and this is i think the first time we see them and of course yeah so it's like the the it's the bigger lady who like i love some body diversity and extra casting so good job casting directors and so I guess like this is Gaskier's whole thing where he just falls in love with people. He's like, you know, we see him being a little bit brave. It looks like he's trying to to like protect her a bit. Like he's sort of sheltering her from the from the vortex. <laughs> um, but then we just it's just like you can only just see them on the edge of the screen. But I thought, oh, that's quite nice. <laughs> I genuinely did not notice that, but I am I am assuming that like she has to in some way be, you know related to at least one person in that fucking ball because like oh yes he's always tracking away for a mother so <laughs> it would be just like Yaskier yes. to run into the same problem that he brought Geralt to like help <laughs> I think what's um what I like about this bit as well is that you know Mousak and Geralt both struggle trying to contain mm-hmm. the magic but it's a sign that stops them. It's it's Ard, the simplest spell yeah. in the world. But he does down an elixir to, to, to power up a little bit before. Also, also to be oh, fair, yes, like it, it is basically like I don't know. I ta- I can't actually remember right now if it like is played like that in the episode. But like in the in the in the short story, uh, Mouse Sack and Geralt basically combine their powers. So yeah, like Geralt is casting Ard, but Mouse Sack is boosting it. It does look like they're both trying mm, to do okay, something, and Geralt sense. did take an elixir. Um, yeah. But yeah, art is be- very simple. That is what knocks them off of their their thing. Mm. And you get the really cool visual of Junie and Pavetta sound- surrounded by shattered. Oh glass yeah, it's quite cool. On all of that, like the the the, way, yeah, the, the, cool the destruction of like the entire scene is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's it's all aesthetically. Yeah. Cool. And finally, Calanfe just like fucking goes and hugs her daughter and chills the fuck out a little bit about the entire thing. Well, it's because she sees, you know, your grandmother's gift had skipped you as it did yeah. me. Uh, and Iced very cleverly manages to hoist himself into a marriage proposal. <laughs> well, kindly. Yeah, it's like, well, she still needs the alliance with Scaliga and cracking crates out of the picture, so... <laughs> like, I do, I do actually, like, love how it was, like, how it is described... Um, in the short story that accompanies this, like, because um, he base it's basically said that he, like, basically proposed to her while they were both like lying under a table that they had been thrown there by Pavetta's like, screaming. <laughs> like, so I'm literally, I literally just every time I like I remember that fact, I just picture it along the lines of like, you know, they've been literally like thrown back by this fucking force scream. They're, they're. I wonder if they did have that then, they just didn't show it on the screen. Whether he had actually forced her into it or whether he had genuinely... Florin Hesserich has said that the shooting scripts were way, way, way too long and that there is like almost as much material on the cutting room floor as there is in the episodes. Yeah, so... right. Fair. That makes sense. Um, Valid. Like, yeah. this episode does feel like it's been like at least a little bit cut down sometimes. Like, in a good way. Like, like, as in, like it's oh, still yeah. very coherent, but like it feels... Sometimes that, like, like a scene, like, maybe had one or two lines that didn't mm-hmm. make it in. Well, the storytelling is super mm-hmm. efficient. It has to be. They're trying I to cram think. basically two books of short stories into eight episodes. And that's the thing. They're doing which actually quite well yeah, with wild. it, which is incredible. Well, they're, they're, they're elaborating the bits that deserve to be elaborated and cutting out some of the fluff. So we're with 
Siri having a hallucination mm-hmm. or a vision about the the winged knight and blood on her hands and everything. So and she sort of wakes up. Yes, yes. And then she's like asked to drink from the water's broccolon, isn't she? Like at this scene. Yeah, yes. So Dara's already yeah. drank from them. And he looks pretty pleased with his decision. Yes. And so she drinks the waters and it doesn't work as she'd expect them yeah. to. And they sort of, oh, we're going to go to Shadkayan. Can I just like, the 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 say something? Of... Shadkayan as a name really fucking annoys me. It sounds like Shurkan from Aladdin. <laughs> well, first of all that, but also <laughs> it is not Elder. No, it like, isn't. It doesn't sound like Elder at all. The Dryads speak a dialect of Elder. It's established and they still do that in the TV series. Like, but Shankayan is like a visibly different language. So to be fair, that could be a cool lore thing, like as in this 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 tree, this ancient spirit tree thing. Mm-hmm. Like predates it predates even the fucking elves it and giants. And you know what? That I'd be fine yeah. with. What I don't like is that it is not yeah. explored. Like yeah. if that was a deliberate like to be totally honest, we're, it's not really explained what Shanghaian is. Maybe we'll get it later when we go back to Brokolon in two seasons. It's entirely possible. Um and I do hope that we do because um it is done up to be a really big thing, mm. but has no delivery whatsoever. Um I have a question for you guys about this scene that Siri lives at the start. So she's having her nightmares, which is book canon as well, that she has these terrible nightmares about what happened at Sintra. But this is also when Dara drank the waters, which we get the impression allows people around you to experience your visions because the dryads see what happened happens to Siri when she mm. drinks them later. And so Siri is seeing partly what happened at Sintra, but like the way she looks at the blood on her hands and the way one of the people looks like they're having their ear cut. I was wondering if she's like seeing a mix of her experiences and Dara's memories. Oh yeah, you might be right. And like the blood on her hand seems like, you know, as the, da- the granddaughter of Kalanthi, the blood on her hands of... Yes, yes. And also worth saying that like th- there is a thing in the books where um, Siri later on, admittedly at a much later age, starts having visions of herself as Falca. That's right, uh, yes. At the, you know, who was this, like, you know, widely perceived as pretty evil and insane, like, rebel. And who has gotten a mention in the series already. Yes, uh, like, like Falca's Rebellion is mentioned as just, like, this historical event that, like, everyone just, like, mentions and immediately the conversation changes topic. Yeah, to say I kind of threw it in Stregobor's face. Yeah, sort of as a way to accuse him of being a misogynist, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. Um, Budokan, and sort because of like you know, like Stregobor yeah. is asked by Geralt as well, still scared of Falca's rebellion, are you? Wait, no. I think that's Desea, Desea that serves that. Yeah, um, yeah, and mm. uh, like like what Stregobor had said, Stregobor had said to Geralt, "If you had been alive during Falca's rebellion, see what I saw," and it's constantly yes. like you know referenced as this historical event that was like really traumatic, um, mm-hmm. and. Mm. Even I didn't know what it was until very late in the books. It gets referenced it's not a lot and then really never explained the until way it's later. Really... Yeah, it's because it's meant to be this, you know, like traumatic historical event that like really traumatized the people of the Northern Kingdoms. Uh, mm-hmm. But they sort of don't speak of it in the sort of same way in which, like, you know, uh, what's the word? Well, in sort of the same way as like you know, fucking Harry Potter characters don't say Voldemort's name because like Falca is just this byword for evil. 
yeah. and like yeah like in the books and at a certain point Siri experiences mm. visions of herself as Falca when she begins to when she when she when she yeah. begins to realize that she has magical power has... that could be used in the way that mm-hmm. Falca did yeah so we then we cut back to Yen with this incredible monologue about life and death and motherhood and womanhood and everything. I think I'll, I'll let you, yeah, and choice, I'll let you lead on this errand for, for these reasons. <laughs> yeah, so Yennefer is mourning the baby on the beach and apologising that she she didn't get to have a life and um, this is going to be such an important thing later for Yennefer's character development Um I'm actually just looking for my notes, sorry, just two seconds, because I want to make sure I get this right. Um, So she says to her, I'm sorry you didn't have a life, but if truth be told, you're not missing much. I know it's easy for me to say with warm breath in my lungs and you with nothing, um, but what would you have had? Um, Then she talks about, you know, parents, um, friends, lovers, but let's face it, you're a girl. Your mother was right about one thing. We're just vessels. And even when we're told we're special, as I was, as you would have been, we're still just vessels for them to take and take until we're empty and alone, which is just wow. Mm. And this kind of ties into just everything in this episode so far with Callus being killed for not being the right kind of vessel, uh, with Calanthe having to fight tooth and claw to, to keep what's hers um, and force her daughter into this horrible position to, to keep her safe. Um, Siri, you know, says fairly often i'm special i don't know why but i'm special and Jennifer's position on this now is even when you're told you're special you're just a vessel yeah um it just this vessel is destiny in book canon clanthy knew that for not producing a son she was going to be killed and so she killed her husband yeah like if her having to fight tooth and claw and her having to force pavetta into a marriage pavetta doesn't want to keep her safe from yeah, you know so. what it is to be an unsuccessful queen and yeah yeah um oh gosh this yeah this whole scene is just incredible and it's i think really a foundational trauma for yennefer because we've just had her at the start of you know her first scene in this episode she's talking about how she traded you know the physical capacity to have a child for this position at court but she's saying it in the sarcastic oh yes i love that i have to clean up after these idiots i love that i'm a glorified royal arsewiper and that i traded my capacity to produce life for that and, you know, even though she can't be this, like, vessel of life, she feels like she's just being taken and taken and taken from hmm. as well. So you've and, cheated the game and won without even knowing it. Yeah, to die as an infant, as a girl, is cheating the game and winning without even knowing it is yeah. grim. Yeah, you, you never even learn the baby's name. Um, yeah. I think in in the Witcher canon, I think that's... Uh, that's oh like yeah, yeah, like, not naming the kid, yeah. That's how but, like, the, to be fair, thing. like, the baby um, had existed to have been named it's just we never learned the baby's name which oh yeah it probably might have actually is, been named by that it's point that's all right yeah neve's yeah. little what sister. does it matter she's just a girl <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah true yeah oh it's dark it's so dark <laughs> and i think that's that's the kind of the contrasts in this episode and the emotional whiplash that it has um so that after this incredibly emotional traumatic scene we were back Back at a joyous occasion of the hand fasting. Um, yes. And Junie is relieved of his curse and is a man because mm-hmm. he's fulfilled his destiny. Mm-hmm. And um, Yaskier is uh, cuddled up with the lady that he protected during the incident, just I was keeping my eye on mm. the Yaskier background acting. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Don't look for trout in any peculiar <laughs> Looking rivers. for trout in any peculiar <laughs> Before that, rivers. yes. Oh, Geralt, I love your jokes. <laughs> peculiar rivers. Um, Geralt tries to leave. Uh, Duty comes up to him and is like, oh, I can't start a new life under the burden of a life debt. You must let me reward you. And Geralt, being, I guess, in a bad Geralt jokes mood, goes and claims the law of surprise. <laughs> Which is, this, this is the single probably most important moment in the entire Witcher yeah. canon. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, this is w- where it all begins, really. <laughs> um, the look on Calanthe's face is just amazing. She's just like, what have you done? <laughs> and he's like, oh, don't worry. I'm If I ever come back here, it won't be to... <laughs> claim a, a crop or a pup I'm here I'll be here to fight an actual monster destiny can go like it is actually fucking incredible because it's just like Geralt no offense but what did you fucking think was gonna happen much discussion literally just happened about how fucking <laughs> it's just I'm actually really like personally frustrated with Geralt in this scene as a character because it's just like are you serious just... right now dude well, it's worth <laughs> And it's worth mentioning this on purpose, and that was yikes. He did this on but... purpose because that was yikes. So I'm glad they changed it because I like show Geralt, and I don't want to hate him for things. This so. is the thing, right? Like in the in the TV series, the way it's done is is an improvement on the book, but it also makes you go, Geralt, you're an idiot. This is this is what's always going to happen. By not even the the fucking vagaries of destiny, so much as just like you know the sheer rule of you know, shit happens. Like, fucking Murphy's Law will kick in. Of course there will be. <laughs> like... <laughs> I, not not to be spoilerific, but there is a line very late in one of the games where someone says to him, again, I won't spoil who, because it's it's key to everything they say, or you to understand about Destiny, yeah. you're just a simple witcher. Um, which I think yeah. this kind of But of course, in the, in the short story that this is based on, it's this and then the retcon where it so I mean in, in this story it is the whole like oh witchers are created from the law of surprise but then later he says well not really most of us are just foundlings but there's sort of a, a bit of like witcher prophecy that says like they'll find one time that this finally works out and we do get a child of surprise they'll be you know yeah. a great witcher won't even need to go through mm. the trial of grasses and... I think in my notes I've described um, the moment immediately when it becomes apparent that Prevetta's um, pregnant the greatest deployment of the word fuck in TV history <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. the comedic timing is immaculate. It, it, it. it is. Um, yeah. So Mousak goes chasing after Geralt to have a chat about Pavetta being what in the books would be referred to as a source. Mm. And um, I actually think this is pretty important because it gives us some insight into maybe why Sentra has been so hostile to mages for so long. Because we get this, um, we get that idea in the books anyway that mages used to do not great things to sources. This runs in um, central and royal family, uh, so that's the worry about and her grandmother was also a source. So that kind of makes sense as to why Calanthe's father banned mages from the court and they've been hostile ever also, since. Also frankly, to be totally honest, you know, I just think he had a point. Like if there's anything that like the series has so far established that's that the old that that like Yennefer is the only good sorceress. Um <laughs> <laughs> Like, okay, to be fair, t- yeah. TV series Triss is also a good person. Show Triss Th- is those fine. Are the only two good, <laughs> those are the only two good magic wielders in this fucking universe. I think I think Kira Metz comes off pretty well. She's like... Yeah, but she's not appeared yet, so it's fine. 
yeah. okay she, like in, in witcher 3 she's nice um if just a bit conniving <laughs> well really she was just a bit stupid to be honest because her attempt at being conniving was just not smart yeah like we won't spoil it for for you yeah. um but let's put it, it this way her her conniving plan was very dumb like was possibly the stupidest thing okay. she possibly could have conceived of doing yes yeah. <laughs> like like um, genuinely really really stupid <laughs> yeah back to anyway back to, back to yeah destiny. so mausak says he's going to stay and help Aveda learn to control her power and ask Geralt to stay to be with siri when you know she's born but Geralt's like, no, this was just uh, this was just a girl using her magic to stop her mother from gutting her lover. The Destiny law of surprise doesn't isn't exist. real. Et cetera, et cetera. Destiny doesn't exist. I'm leaving and never coming back. And Mesak's basically saying, like, um, actually, you're just afraid. Um, you're gonna get fucked by this, Geralt. Yeah, like, you could be dooming us all. And Geralt's like, shrug. Anyway, he says... Fucking yeah. Geralt. <laughs> I think what I think is interesting polite. here you know, is that like, he calls true words are rare words in courts like this and rare be careful words? old friend yeah yeah, yeah. so Mosat gets the f word but uh like, Yaskir doesn't Geralt totally gives gives the the the, the f word to people he actually doesn't care about that much like you know like <laughs> friends that he only sees like once every couple of decades so like so like they don't get <laughs> used to it distance for him like, just, just so they don't get used to it, you know? Like, it's uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the camera sort of pans out, and we get a shot of Sintra, and then a flag flaps, and we're back to, like, however many years later, Sintra on fire. Mm, that's a really good transition scene. It's it really clever. so good. And we we see poor Calanth. Yeah, the Nilfgaardian mage has found Calanthe's body, and they do some really dark sort of necromancy slash anthropomancy mm. um they like cut a bit of her skin off and then feed it to somebody and then they do the the anthropomancy thing where they they read his entrails yes and yes. i think this is a theme throughout it that the the north guardian empire really don't care about the morality of the magic that they use no and, and it's not in the at books all. as well they, they they literally will use any tool they can muster to get siri like anything. yeah and so Yes, yeah, so we've got Fringilla and Kahir here, right? And they're sort of overseeing mm. this. Uh, and Mausak. Uh, yeah, so that's how they find out Ceres and Brokolon, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to get in there, because you can't really fight your way into Brokolon. And that's where mm. we, are. we see that they've captured Mausak. Yeah, yes, we did. Mm. And that's not good foreshadowing for the future. No. Poor Mausak. Oh, poor Mausak, I know. I... The only good sorcerer. Well, he's a druid. That's why he's the only good sorcerer. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it's because he's he's not a sorcerer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the only is, good sorcerer um... is a not sorcerer. <laughs> like, yeah, literally. Like the the like the only the only fucking good sorcerers in this universe are the ones that technically are not. Um, like, and also I have to say I have to say my sack is even like uniquely not annoying for a druid because most of them are like like in. The, in like pains like in the ass. pain in the ass, yeah, like the like ass. radical and prims. <laughs> like... <laughs> in in the games, um, if I understand right, in Witcher Three at least, he's not called Mausak. He's in the games, um, but he's called Ermion. Huh. Um, so he's like the same character. He's portrayed as kind of a a rat crouching tail. Change pisses me off man. because just like it's like yeah. it's. 
the literal reason you like, did this is only because you thought it was too dumb a name, but somehow, like, you know, you went with a whole series of a character named Dandelion and felt fine with that. But, but I like Dandelion as a name. It's a few, I kind of like it too, and he's a dandy, so it's perfect. Yeah, yeah I like that, yeah. but it's just like, but, but like, Mouse Sack is also a perfectly valid name, because... <laughs> it's Mouse Sack? <laughs> he's um he's just in the games he's portrayed as sort of um he is dressed as a druid in the games not in courtly finery and he wears a crown mm-hmm. of sticks. yeah he does um, ah. so he he does look like a but he is a very powerful Mind, I do druid, actually, actually fucking like and, the uh, idea of mouse sack and finery because like you know how do you put this he is a druid but he but he is the kind that like you know you would see fitting in quite yeah. well well, he's pragmatic. He's always portrayed as pragmatic. Yeah. If I remember mm-hmm. rightly. Yeah. Um, um, so we cut from the scene back to Siri, and they've brought her to yes, the, the Shankayan, which is the yeah, it's the final scene, and they've brought her to Shankayan. Um, she needs to drink directly from the source because when they tried to give her the waters of Brokolon, they just didn't affect her at all, which is kind of the same as book canon. Um, and she, except this part isn't because she never does end up having a, a trip in the forest in book canon. So she drinks directly from the tree and kind of has this vision of being in the desert at night, but there's the tree is still present in the desert. And uh, it says, there's like this voiceover that says, what are you, child? And yeah, that's it. It's really it. Now, do, do, you guys have any, do you guys have any thoughts about this? Because like, I mean, oh God, this refrain in the book is, you mistook the, the, the stars reflected on the pool for the... Rubens took the reflection in the pool for the stars in the night sky is like this thing that gets repeated over and over and over again in the books. The desert is a really important place where she ends up alone in the books. See, this is like, the thing, like... right? Like, um, if I have to interpret it in yeah. any way, um, because I do still think actually that like there is annoyingly little explanation provided for what's going on here. It feels like there were scenes cut. Mm-hmm. Like, like I feel like one of the scenes mm-hmm. that you know, was cut from the original script must have been a scene in the next episode where they, where this, you know, magic tree has an actual conversation with Siri and like something, you know, more clear becomes, I mean, I'm kind of fine with the crypticness, to be honest, because we get a lot of cryptic shit from her in the books that isn't really explained. Yes, but like, but like, also this is like an annoying, like, pointless kind of crypticness because, like, they're... no, like, I genuinely don't don't like how this particular bit of it was done because I I genuinely like looked at like like when the tree appeared at the end of this episode I was like actually kind of psyched I was like oh man this might be interesting I'm gonna you know like I'm excited to see what happens in the next episode and then you know spoiler alert nothing happened like the. That was the end of Siri's vision of the tree. It asked her, what are you, child? And there was no answer provided. I mean, she is having a trip, to be fair. Mm-hmm. She's literally hallucinating, so it doesn't need to make sense. I know, I know. But, like, you know, like, it need, like it does need to make sense, but it needs to serve some sort of, like, storyline purpose, and I really don't feel like it does. Like... Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was a hell of an episode. Um, it, was a... it really was. It's and a it's, fantastic it episode. It does, and it sets up so much for the next five seasons and it, you see jaskier at his most beautiful oh uh, yes bath scene beautiful eyeliner and in the bath scene yes those are two very good jaskier looks and scenes mm. um yeah we get the yeah the bath scene where we get sort of the extent of jaskier and Geralt's sort of relationship as it's developed since episode two 
um yeah and um some really foundational trauma that informs kind of all of Yennefer's behavior yep. going forward and you get the single most important moment in the entire canon of the Witcher story really yes which is Geralt claiming the law of surprise and being bound to Ciri yes the fool yeah <sighs> yeah I mean we've <laughs> oh there's, there's one thing from the books that I feel like I need to 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 get in here um one second <laughs> so just take a second sorry because there's this bit in in this story where Mousak says to Geralt about like um uh fuck it I can't find it and I'm too tired but there's this bit where that Mousak says to Geralt when he's like in the books when he's basically refusing to um refusing to take seriously sort of what has happened with like he obviously he's like I'll come back for whatever and then he's told that like you know this isn't about you this is about her and she's the one who will be special not you and your whole life has to wrap around her and yeah yeah that's parenthood I guess yeah yeah. (laughs) um what's what's next next is episode five the gin episode yeah bottled appetites this may be my favorite episode. This is the one that grabbed me and just threw me headlong into the series, but Bottled Appetites is my favorite episode. So It's the Last Wish, basically. Yes. Which is which one is, of the best I think, stories. I think Last Wish. It's my favorite short story by far. Yeah. Oh gosh, there's like whole stretches of The Last Wish I can just quote from memory now because I love it so much. Because <laughs> it's just a beautiful love story in its own way. It really is. It's it's actually a fantastic short story. I love it mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, I mean, um, Sapek is a just really great short story writer, which is a really difficult skill. Actually, a lot of like a lot of writers cannot do short stories. It is actually so much harder than novels, and he is yeah. a fantastic short story writer. Because you need to be concise, which is actually not a not a simple task. Writers are infamously not very good at it. <laughs> yeah, you need to convey a full story with all of its meaning in such a short space, and he's so good at it. I mean, looking mm. at like how much time our podcast episodes take up like you know we are not good at this <laughs> we are not good at conciseness and we really admire you know <laughs> hey ganji sapkowski for managing to pull it off <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah so next episode is yes uh, episode five bottled appetites um which sort of kind of starts bringing our our, our cast together a bit yep. so we'll be looking yeah. forward to discussing that yep yes Right. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Our music is Medieval Abstraction by Lucas Perny and Miloslav Kolar. And you can find it at freemusicarchive.org. And you can find us on Twitter at The Witcher Cast and also on Tumblr at The Witcher Cast. See you next time. <laughs>